everything's fine. And two hours later, they don't have a house. And not just one or two people, like whole streets of people. I know it looks cool to be on the trail and be all cutesy-ootsy and college campus look on the trail. But wearing a hat holds a lot of heat in. So take your hat off. I don't care how cool you think you look. You're not going to look cool unconscious laying on the ground with your hat on. Hey guys, welcome to The Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, and no producer, Ben. We'll talk about that in a couple of seconds. But for Craig and I today, it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learn today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> Dude. Where it has you? been one of those days. It has been one of those days. So I uh, have technological issues. Internet is down. AT&T, boo on you, AT&T. <laughs> Verizon, You're listening man. in. Verizon. <laughs> so, man, I've had major issues with them today. Well, no, I have had major issues with them for about a month. And then today, <laughs> about four or five hours before podcasting goes live, internet's gone and they're going to be here in a week to fix it that's what oh. they tell me oh. so i had my wife chat with them and they're in the process of fixing it right now so at&t <laughs> is at&t is not our sponsor for today's episode no they're not and they won't be i would not accept money from them at this point because i know they don't spend it wisely because they don't know oh, what they're man. doing anyway anyway and uh, got a call for a lost child today and was able to assist oh, that situation. Uh, turned out to be not a big issue, but just some simple data uh, was able to help uh, from afar to help some to help a police department find a lost kid. So that's always good. Real good. Yeah. Yeah, that is real good. A lot of you guys probably don't know, but Craig has many hats and we may talk about those in this particular podcast as we go on. You got surprise we- questions for me again? I do. I've got some surprise questions for Craig. Uh, We're actually, and Craig's going to talk about this a little bit more, we're going to do a Q&A today. But a lot of you guys don't know this, but Craig wears many hats, and one of them is uh, he assists uh, search and rescue and law enforcement when they have some tough cases as far as finding people, right? I don't really do it that much. Uh, It's rare that I do that. Now, I get to do a lot of training, but the actual involvement, in an, in a search doesn't happen that often. Uh, it will probably ramp up because I'm going to join an area search and rescue team. But uh, I get calls a lot, like I did today, about some helpful hints to find somebody. And so I'm glad I was helpful in that regard. But uh, I would like to be more active myself. But yeah. Mm, yeah. And Craig, I'm actually going to be not far from you next week. So maybe we can coordinate to uh, get together. I don't know though. You, you have a lot of weekend trainings going on. I'm not going to be available till Friday, but I'm going to actually be in Simpsonville, Kentucky. Is that far from you? Simpsonville. You know, I don't know that I know where that is. Okay. I think it's around the Louisville area, probably two hours from me. Yeah. We'll figure that out. I didn't know that. That's cool. 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 All right, man. So what do we got going on next here? Yeah, guys and gals, our mission is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And coming up next, we're going to be doing another Q&A from you. That's you listening. And many of our supporters, we've searched your feedback and our social media profiles to grab some interesting questions 
on knives, how to start a business, camping, heat exhaustion, favorite wild edibles, and a lot more. But before we get into that, what I want to do is just give you a quick word about our sponsor, Sportsman's Guide. Here's what I need you all to do for me. Look down at the link below in the description for Sportsman's Guide, and at the very least, just click on it for me this week and take a look and see what Sportsman's Guide has to offer. You'll probably find something that you might want. So next time that you have an inkling to get something off of Amazon, click on our Sportsman's Guide link and see if you can find it there instead. I bet you're going to find it as good or better at a price, and they've got one of everything there. So check that out for us. We really appreciate it. And don't forget to check us out at survivalshow.com. That's growing, going to be online real soon, and we're very excited about that. What's up, David? All right, Craig, you ready to get into this? Let's do it. So the first question I had, David, is this, I can't remember the way I put some of these notes together and you did. So the first question is, do you have any ideas on recognizing heat related illness in the wild? Do you want to talk about that one or do you want me to? Let's kick it back and forth. I can start it. I mean, it's a great question because now's the time, right? And I don't know if, I don't know if a lot of guys are like me, but I get outside and I, I start to sweat. I get busy with something and I forget to hydrate. So I'm just going to say. The biggest thing for me, at least for for personal, my personal own self, is I often tell people to hydrate, and <laughs> Craig can attest to this. When we've done trainings, I'll tell people to hydrate, and I won't do it myself, and then Craig tells me, fix yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do so, say that uh, a lot, don't I? <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, so the symptom, a common symptom is is headaches. Uh, that's that's one of the the first things that happens, and that is uh, specifically for me dehydration, and that is actually heat related in in many ways. There's some other things that I have experienced personally, and in even in some trainings where I had some other people say "fix yourself," and this was confusion and fatigue. Uh, I remember being in a training where I was using a knife completely improperly, not even aware of it until an instructor stopped me and uh, basically told me to put it down, get in the shade, get some water and rest. And uh, so you should do the same thing too. just be aware of that. Uh, when Whenever you start doing some things that would be out of the normal, maybe <laughs> even dangerous, uh, you you need to just stop. And uh, uh, what else do you have, Craig? <laughs> I'm kind of rambling here. Well, that, no, that's good. I mean, it's. I think what we need to do is make sure we understand that there's a difference between basically what is commonly referred to in the medical community as heat exhaustion versus heat stroke. Heat exhaustion is the entry-level problem with heat stress, and heat stroke is a real serious problem that we need to call 911 for. So heat, one of the items that you mentioned there, David, which is mental confusion and altered Mm -hmm. mental status is a nearly a cardinal sign for heat stroke. And so the answer for a heat stroke is to, to literally call 911, get somebody in cold water, uh, and literally immerse their body in cooler tent or cooler water, cold water. 
And so the state that you were in is a very dangerous position to be in. So that's not something that should be taken lightly. Uh, and obviously you didn't, you, your instructor was doing partially what they should have been doing, but they should have been doing a little bit more. Um, heat exhaustion is one of those things. And I, and I questioned a friend of mine who has 20 plus years in the emergency medical field on this topic. And he, he basically sent me a, a cool meme that I put up on Facebook, which got this discussion started. Heat exhaustion being the signs of nausea, fatigue, dizziness, weakness, and rapid pulse and heat stroke. Again, the worst of the two being seizures, which is obviously something that you would notice. Serious agitations, the confusion and slurred speech and loss of consciousness. Uh, those sorts of things that I just mentioned for heat stroke are definitely something that you can't just... Uh, pass off and not do something about you must do something or somebody's going to have some serious health issues. Yeah. Another thing that can happen to people kind of when they're crossing that line is if your sweating stops, that's a real, that's a real problem also. So if you know, it, yeah, because your body's going to, it's natural re reaction is going to be to cool you down in the way that it does. That is evaporation through uh, sweating and if you're if you're working outside and your sweating stops, you need to get, as Craig would say, fix yourself quick. <laughs> and do you have how about some how about some practical things, Craig? So just for people that, you know, they're not even thinking about heat exhaustion or heat stroke. What are some things people can do this time of the year to ensure that they don't get uh, in one of these uh, danger zones? Some of the most practical things are don't wear wicking garments. Uh, we've had this happen I, you know, again. A lot of folks know that I taught martial arts for years and you get these wicking garments that are real cool and in style and all that stuff to practice martial arts and, and wicking garments to go hiking and stuff of that nature. And that pulls the sweat off of your body and helps it to evaporate quickly. So you don't have sweat standing on you or sitting on your body and sweat on your body is your body's way of cooling itself off. And mm -hmm. so anything that you're doing to cause that to happen quickly is not good for you. Uh, you so your wicking garments will be like the, a lot of these nylon uh, t-shirts and underwear and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And I mean, people have just have a, an affront to being sweaty as if it's a completely negative thing. And it's not a negative thing. It's actually really good for you. Uh, obviously if you collect lots of sweat under, you know, in your groin area, under your armpits, you can start to get some sort of heat rash and that's problematic. You got to fix that and try to control that as best you can. But wicking garments, uh, are basically going to help you to overheat. You want that sweat on you, you want to be able to cool off. And so that can be problematic. So a non-wicking garment would, I, I mean, I would primarily say that cotton's great in the summertime, right? Cotton can kill yeah. in the wintertime, but it's great in the summertime. Yeah, it's going to hold that sweat to you, and you just got to be aware that that's going to be an issue and get into an area where you can get out of the sun whenever you're in the sun and take a break. Just stop whatever you're doing. Take a hat off. I know it looks cool to be on the trail and be all cutesy-ootsy and college campus look on the trail, but wearing a hat holds a lot of heat in. So take your hat off. I don't care how cool you think you look. You're not going to look good, look cool, unconscious, laying on the ground with your hat on. Mm -hmm. So get that hat off so you can release some heat. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say to people, because 
let's just face it, a lot of us overdo it, right? We get ourselves maybe a little bit out of shape and then we go on a trip or whatever and we just really want to push it. Uh, I think a really important thing to consider is is pacing yourself. And, you know, you want to be taking regular breaks. If you're with other people, you need to be taking care of the weakest person in your group. I think that's that's something that any group leader or anybody in a group ought to be. If, if that's you, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't be afraid to tell people, hey, I think I really need to take a break here. Get yourself out of the sun and the heat. Cool your body in the shade. Breezes help. Uh, drink a lot of water. Add salt and juice for quicker hydration. And Craig, don't you have a don't you have a specific uh, item that you recommend that people take in their first aid kit for hydrating really quick? Well, um, I'm a big fan at this point of carrying something such as Pedialyte. Uh, there's some stuff made what is the title of uh, name of it vitalite vitalite is um, basically adult pedialyte but pedialyte and vitalite are the same thing so you can buy pedialyte in your health and first aid items in any big box store or grocery store and carry that with you it, that was actually something that really helped some people in a class that we taught last year during the summer it was incredibly hot and so it helped bring people back from the brink of, hey, they didn't want to do anything anymore. So, so yeah, good stuff. All right. Anything else on this particular topic, Craig? No, dude, that was a good question. I'm glad somebody asked it because somebody else is going to have heat-related issues before the summer's up. Let's get into the next one, though. All right. I'll let you start this one, too. Uh, what are your thoughts on pre-made bow drill kits? All right. This is a good question. <laughs> uh, we've been... Uh, a lot of people have been discussing this online. I think it was one of those topics on Facebook the other day where people said people were getting really aggravated about pre-made bow drill kits. And I differ from them completely. The The way I look at bow drill fire making is, is utilizing the apparatus is one very difficult aspect of it. Building the apparatus is another difficult aspect of it. And so if you want to help a beginner, somebody that's brand new, if you can ease one of those points, one of those two points, then why not? And so if you buy a pre-made dr uh, bow drill kit and everything's killing dried and everything's made perfect, I mean, it's the perfect bow drill set, and then you can teach somebody technique with it, then they're going to be very well off compared to somebody that has to build the kit and then also learn how to use it. So I, I've become a fan of them simply because most of the people that I see that are saying negative things about building a bow drill kit um, and say you shouldn't have a pre-made bow drill kit don't make their own cordage. So they're not really making a bow drill kit either. They're mm -hmm. using as they're using, they're making the parts that are easy to make. And then the part that's the hardest to make that takes more time, the cordage uh, they're just using paracord or cordage of some other sort. So they're not really doing it either. They're using a pre-made kit. They just don't want to admit it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. And then there has to be at some point in time, I think there's incredible value in teaching people how to source the contents of a bow drill kit from the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's incredibly valuable training. And so I think it's a progression there. You know, Steve Watts, uh, was a famous bushcraft outdoor educator, Doug Meyer, who's taught me primitive skills. One of the things those guys, Steve taught Doug and Doug taught me was to teach people in stages. 
and I like to build these stages where you don't throw somebody to the wolves immediately. You build them up and, and take them from there. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I know in the trainings we've done up here in Pennsylvania, we've people have had the opportunity to build parts of their kit. And uh, what we've done, and you, I actually learned this part from you because when I did advanced survival at your place i don't know if you're still doing this in advanced survival but you had some kiln dried wood materials that we started with there and uh, we've done the same thing here in our trainings so you can so what i'm talking about is kind of a hybrid it's it's not completely it's not it's not sourced naturally but it's not completely built for you and to do kind of that hybrid type where you're getting some kiln dried materials from Lowe's or Home Depot, or we're just recycling them or upcycling from them from your wood pile in your basement or whatever. Uh, that's another option, but that's going to take obviously maybe somebody giving you a hand, giving you some suggestions, watching some YouTube videos or better yet going to one of Craig's trainings. So I agree with you. It's, it is a, it can be quite a thing, and unfortunately, I've met people along the way, Craig, and you probably have too. And we've had some people in our trainings, haven't we? <laughs> I think we got this yeah. one on vi- video where a guy, said, guy, one of our students said, I've been trying to get a bow drill my entire life, <laughs> and, he fi- and he finally got it at, at our, sure. um, one of our trainings. So uh, it, it's, it really shouldn't have to be that way. It's not a it's not something that we want to keep people from if somebody's interested in it. It's not a, it's, you know, it's not a big badge of honor that you want other people to figure out the, the great divine mysteries of Baudrill fire. We want to help each other. Right. Exactly. I think there's so much, uh, so much ego in, in bushcraft and survival instruction that people want to pretend that there's some secrets there and hold them. It, it's no, I've been involved in that sort of attitude in martial arts all my life too. So, I don't, I don't get it. I'm all about helping people and bringing them up. You know, most of us started with training wheels on our bikes. And in my mind, a pre-made bow drill kit is just a training wheel on building a bow mm-hmm. drill set and, and making fire with it. That's all there is to mm-hmm. it. So all right. Moving on. What's up? Yeah. What's up next? All right. So next question is what is your ideal camping spot for survival? And a follow-up question. What is your favorite camping spot for pleasure and explain? go with that all right for survival of course we're talking about maintaining our core body temperature keeping the elements off of us all that sort of stuff so i'm gonna try and be near natural resources i mean this is just kind of generally speaking i guess is that is that kind of where this question is going craig or am i misreading I don't this know. Question? it was that was actually a just a question in our group that was i pulled directly from Facebook. So the question is as it is. So answer it any way you want to. Okay. So I'm going to want to set up near natural resources. Now I generally, the temptation with water is to get yourself close to water, but water is almost always in a valley. Is that how you say it there in Kentucky Valley? Negative. It's holler here. (laughs) In a holler. Uh, but depending on the time of the year, especially in the summertime, it can be nice to set up a little bit closer to water for the coolness. But uh, at least here in Pennsylvania, in the mountains, three seasons, 
uh, you're going to get real cold and have a lot of moisture settling in those areas. Plus, you want to just make sure that you're not close to a stream or a riverbed in, in case there's some sort of flash flooding. I'm going to be orienting uh, my camping spot shelter to get some morning sun and take advantages of heat from my fire. And um, I'm going to make sure that I'm not sleeping under any widow makers. So my, I guess my ideal camping spot for survival would not be on like the peak of a, of a mountain or a hill. It would be on a, in an area that is blocking the wind, but that gives me some uh, morning sun. It gives me some protection from the elements, but it also locates me close to natural resources. So that's my survival spot, but my camping spot for pleasure would be different than that, Craig. <laughs> yeah. How about you for survival? Let's maybe start. Pretty much start the same thing. Uh, just simply put, I would, I would agree with everything you said. Um, just some simple ideas though, is, is somewhere down below the military crest of a hill, mm -hmm. meaning you don't want to be on the very top for the reasons that you mentioned. You don't want to be in the bottom for the reasons you mentioned somewhere in that mid range, but closer to the top, probably so that you can be seen. Um, most of the searchers will be in a elevated position, not necessarily in aircraft, but at least on foot looking for you. And a lot of them will walk down elevated positions because they can simply see more from there. And so that puts you in a closer position where they might be able to find you for survival. Camping spot. Um, you know, uh, you know, hardcore glamping, which I love to do that too. I mean, I, uh, I go out and spend time in the woods with nothing. I did that actually a few days ago where I just laid down on the ground, dealt with life. But, uh, when I'm glamping and I got everything in the car that I want to, I really like being around water. Um, something that I can, particularly if I'm going to be in hot weather, I've got to be around the water so I can get in the water and cool off. Uh, in the wintertime, I like being somewhere where I can get out of the wind no matter where it is. Uh, I love being in wintertime camping where because there's hardly anybody out in the woods and you'll have the woods to yourself if you're on public property. And so that all is kind of where I'm at on the camping spot. Nice. I'm with you with the water. Uh, I'm going to be close to water. There's a really nice, unfortunately, getting too popular spot than it was a couple of years ago when we discovered it where there's a it's kind of a, it's a small gorge that has a falls that comes down in there. And then there's a pool of water with fish in it. And it's, it's quite a fantastic place. The other place that I love to be as a view, and you know that we are close to the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon here. So when we hit the, the trails up in and around there, we're usually looking for a, a spot with a view, which is not going to be quite as much protection, but you know, views are, are what it's about. And in the winter time, I will go anywhere with my uh, seek outside teepee tent with my titanium <laughs> wood stove. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, uh, dude! Jeremiah that thing Johnson style. Oh, I know. I stayed in one in a training for some really high speed dudes, and uh, those things are those things are bomber. <laughs> those things, those. Are, it's dudes. It, it, it's totally crazy. I have. I can't remember which TP tent I have, but it's like eight pounds total. And mm. then the titanium folding stove is like another three. 
So the whole thing's only 11 pounds, and, and that That's gets you out, out of the weather with heat and multiple people. It, it's, yeah. it is incredible. Alrighty, next question here. Is this mine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what is yeah. your favorite wild edible plant, and how do you prepare it? Craig. Chickweed. Pick it up. Eat it. That's how I prepare it, baby. Matter of fact, I'm a big fan of all the wild edibles that are that way. I, I mean, I, I tend to be more survival minded when it comes to edible plants than than the other ways of just bringing them into the house. Jennifer, my wife, does most of that. She's a really good cook, so she does most of the cooking at our house. I do about 0.05% of it at our house. So um, she she does all kinds of stuff with wild edibles. But uh, as far as the way I do it, just me personally, chickweed, just pick it up, eat it. We taught a class at Moorhead State University last night. Jennifer and I did. She taught most of it there for a bunch of uh, what are called – it's an upper bound program here in Kentucky. I don't know if that's a nationwide program or not, but it's disadvantaged kids, kids that don't have um, funds to go to college where they're getting – they go through a process and they get into college. So uh, we taught them an edible plants class last night on Moorhead State University campus. And there were more edibles in the front yard of one of the buildings on campus than there were any place I've ever seen hmm. in one spot. It was amazing. They were all mowed and it was manicured, but there was, I bet we found 30 wild edibles within 20 yards. Mm-hmm. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, I love wild edibles. Nice. What about you? Yeah, so one thing to get people started is literally yesterday, I just posted a video on five keys to safely identifying and making sure you're eating the right wild edibles. So you guys can check that out on YouTube at Ultimate Survival Tips YouTube. For me, I'm the same way, Craig. I don't, I'm going to say that I have never intentionally cooked a wild edible. Chickweed, it's interesting. I love chickweed. But it is rare up here. I, I really, huh. I, I have never found it in excess anywhere. It's, it's actually kind of a delicacy up here that that we just don't have common. I know it, it like grows in your lawns down there, doesn't it? It does. It just doesn't last very long. Like right now, where when it starts getting hot and the sun's out quite a bit, uh, chickweed does not like direct sunlight very well. It burns up quick, like. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard to find. We found some last night for the kids on campus, but uh, it was back in behind two buildings where the sun didn't shine very much. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's good to know, though. But yeah, I love it. Yep. So some of my favorites are, and it, it just asks for one, but I've got a, a group of them. One would be lamb's quarter. That's some people call it wild spinach. It's not wild spinach, but it's it's lamb's quarter. I don't know what the Latin name of it is. It's a nice, delicate uh, leaf and very tasty whenever you get it. A dandelion, f- uh, especially fresh flowers and young leaves. I just had a comment from somebody based on the video I just posted on YouTube that, uh, yeah, we've got dandelions, but they're bitter. Well, it, you want to... If you're going at wild edibles, the younger the plant, generally speaking, if if it's a you know a safe wild edible, it's going to be better. Same thing with dandelions. Uh, younger dandelion leaves are better. Can I you throw something, say something in there? there, Craig? Yeah, yeah. We in this country have been taught, um, mostly since birth, that bitter foods are bad, and that is wrong. That That's could not wrong. be more wrong. wrong. 
-hmm. bitter foods are really good for your digestive tract. And, um, you know, just a comment like that, it's, and I would have made that comment as recent as 10 years ago. Uh, and it was when I started a earnest study of edible plants that I came to the understanding and realization of how important bitter foods actually are. So, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been just like the guy on your video. It's bitter. Yeah, that's not a problem. It's mm-hmm. actually a really good thing for our diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another good one to take a look at, which is almost everywhere now, is plantain. And again, that's that's a more bitter. It can actually, the leaves can start to get a little bit thick as they get older, but I eat those all year round. And, and not only are they a good wild edible, they're actually a good medicinal plant and beef up your immune system. Uh, flowers, Craig, I, I, I don't know if you guys have much for wild mustard flowers, but they're in here and I just, I just love the taste of them. They, they are, um, one of my favorites and we've got some wild rose flowers that are coming on and, uh, my absolute favorite flower so far is daylily flowers. They actually have a bit of a taste of daylily flowers, but no, but <laughs> Craig always says, Hey, what's it taste like? <laughs> oh, it tastes like a bug, <laughs> but right. daylily, daylily flowers do have a, a bit of a cucumbery taste. So, um, check Had them some out. Of those last night, David. Did you? Yeah. 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 They're coming on strong around here right now. So we had some at dinner last night for same thing. Uh, they do taste like day lilies, but if I were to attribute it to some, I would agree with you hundred percent, but I'm a big fan of cucumbers too. So I like day lilies. Nice. Anything else on this wild edible stuff? No, no. Uh, next question. So next one was, are there any lessons learned from the recent spat of tornadoes in the Midwest? Do you have that one or do you want me to take it? I've got I mean, I can just I can just talk generally. I'll let you talk about the Midwest, but some things that I learned from it is that even in the mountains where I live in the Appalachian, is that how you say it down in Kentucky? The Appalachian no. No, here range. Appalachian. <laughs> Appalachian. Okay. We northerners say Appalachian. We <laughs> people that are correct say Appalachian. So we're in the northern part of that mountain range, whatever, however you say it. And uh, even though we're protected here where I'm at, a few weeks ago, we did have some tornado warnings and we hunkered down in the basement for about two hours. One thing that I noticed after that is since my house is literally 10 foot from the side of a, of a, of a hill, I have a couple of ash trees that are being attacked by that emerald ash borer right now that are dead and I need mm. to get those. To, I need to get those down, mm-hmm. dude. Because if those are going to fall right on the house, if I don't take care of those quick. Yep. All right. Yep. What do you have? Wow. So I've got a friend, uh, Jay. You know who you are. That's listening to this podcast right now because he listens to every single one of them as soon as they come out, and he texts me about fifteen minutes after they come out with more questions. So. Um, buddy Jay, thanks for everything you've shared with us about the tornadoes. He was right in the middle of it. So Jay works for public works up there. And so he had a monumental task after the tornadoes hit Dayton, Ohio. And a couple of things, we had several conversations. Um, three things came out of those conversations. One is, you know, have some sort of spiritual, emotional, support. 
no matter what it is that you've got going on in your life, find a way that when things seem overwhelming, you have something to rely on. Uh, I know I have mine, but you need to consider that because even the strongest people can break down and have difficulty in situations where it just looks like everything's overwhelming. Okay. Uh, number two was water is incredibly valuable resource and they were in jeopardy of losing water to like 400,000 people there and uh, due to the electric being down. And it looked like it might be a week or two before the electric got up. They got it up a little bit faster than that, but they were going to run out of clean water because the electric, the, the pumps that clean the water were run by electric, obviously, and there was nothing to clean the water. So have water storage and have a water purifier at least a filter in your go bag. And when tornadoes are on their way, get your go bag with you, take it with you if you're leaving or have it close to you so that you've got it. And thirdly, think about personal hygiene and particularly what happens when the water system in your hometown does not work. And there's no way you're going to be able to flush your commode for two weeks. What do you do? You need to have the ability to, build a latrine somewhere in your yard, or at the very least have bags available so that you can uh, defecate in a bucket, close up the bag. And, and that way you keep the, the bacteria laden feces uh, from flies getting in it and flying around getting on your food, getting on you and and not having a hygienic location to stay in. That's going to be vital. And that was already happening. People were having trouble and not having a location for them to be able to use the bathroom. And so that was a real problem coming up quick. So have a solution for that. Um, with that said, some of the things that you can do is, you know, keep some lime at your house because that helps break that down. And so if you're using the bathroom into a bucket, you can put a little bit of lime in there, maybe even some earth. Take a scoop full of earth and put it in the bucket to help break things down. It breaks up the smell. And so that's uh, that's a couple of helpful hints for you to have a latrine even in your own house. Sawdust works really good there too. Oh yeah, never thought about that. Sawdust, that's a good one. Sawdust, yeah. If you get a, if you go to the Home Depot or wherever or uh, the donut shop, you can get those five gallon buckets with the the uh, waterproof airtight lids on them, and you can go right in the bucket, cover it up with sawdust or lime or or earth like Craig's talking about and cover that up and you should be good until the next time you got to go. Awesome. That's, that is like the cheapest, simplest (laughs) composting toilet you can ever have right there. I'm telling you, and it seems odd. People are listening to us and going, I don't, you know, maybe they've never thought about that, but I'm just telling you my buddy Jay, I know again, he's listening. He was, he was talking about how bad it was. I mean, there were people that Mm. today right now, boom, just everything's fine. And two hours later, they don't have a house and not just one or two people like whole streets of people. And he remarked several times about this word refugees. He's like, we have people that just don't have homes now, just wandering the street. They don't have anything just in minutes. They went from normal life to not having anything. And so, yeah, insurance is going to come in. FEMA is going to come in, but that's going to be a while. So you're going to have to be able to take care of your needs there in the short term. I mean, they had people just using the bathroom on the street, just all over the place, just wherever, 
just using the bathroom. And I mean, it was, it was happening that quick within a few hours. Wow. All right, man. Next topic. Yeah. Okay. Craig, what do you think of tube tents? And maybe before you answer that, maybe you can tell people what tube tents are. All right. Tube tents, you all are just little, um, triangular shaped tents that are basically plastic on those three triangle sides. And so you stake them up in such a way that it looks like a big, long triangle. You slide in it and you have coverage over top of you on both sides and you have something on the ground. All right. So what do you think of them? Hate them. Hate them. Never seen one that was very solidly built. Uh, I, I just... Not a fan of them at all. I think there's just better solutions with a basic tarp than there is with a tube tent. I wonder with a couple of these questions, if somebody's like trolling you based off of my videos, (laughs) because a couple couple of weeks ago, I posted a (laughs) video where I, I think I called it a gimmick tent. And what I did is I reviewed the UST and that's not ultimate survival tips. That's uh, ultimate survival technologies. They're, tube i think it was their tube tarp tube tarp base base tube tarp and i kind of went into it thinking that it was a gimmick because i've gotten a lot of these reflective material and you know pocket tube tarp tent things that are say that five times real fast yeah (laughs) they're just absolutely a waste and i'm gonna tell you craig i don't know if you have seen that one but it's not that bad. I kind of came to the conclusion in the video that it's, it's, I probably wouldn't use it for much, but as far as an ultralight solution that, that would work in an emergency, or if I was just heading out in fair weather for a couple of days and I wanted to have something like that, it wasn't a bad solution. So check it out, Craig, the UST base tube tarp. Maybe you have. Maybe you're going to dispute my claims right now. <laughs> I would not do that to you, but I, I'll, I'll just say it like this. I have checked it out. <laughs> and, it, and this is what I mean. If that's what you've got, then it's not bad. But if you're going to pack something, I think there's better things to pack. Yeah, yeah. I got you. And, I, and that's yep. my approach to it. If you're going to buy something and spend the money and pack it, then there's just a whole lot better choices that are going to cost you the same amount of money. And mm-hmm. so go with those instead of getting something like, you know, a tube tent. Yep. Good point. What's next? All right. Do you have any lessons learned from the recent Memorial Day holiday? I think that's a new question you threw it in there because I don't remember that one. I didn't throw that in there, actually. Maybe. Uh my my recent memorial i'm going to tell you what my lesson learned was don't work on memorial day because i did and it just totally backfired on me so that <laughs> that is that is literally my big lesson for memorial day and i know that's that's not you know patriotic or honoring our our uh, veterans but after memorial day and just a couple of days ago we had the 75th anniversary of d day and um that that was amazing. I, I, I guess maybe I engaged that more than I did Memorial Day because I was a loser and I thought, hey, I'm going to catch up on some work. So I blew off everybody's picnics. And, and at the end of the day, it was kind of like for me working on Sunday. <laughs> mm. it, just, it just didn't work out very good. How about you? 
Uh, you know, Memorial Day is is um, a solemn occasion, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes we need to just make sure that we reiterate for everybody. And maybe this is what the question is about. I don't remember even putting this question in there, but what comes to mind is Memorial Day is for those that actually died. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the best thing that we can do for our veteran friends that are still alive is number one is celebrate our lives that we have. Uh, Know that we, and I I try to tell my veteran buddies this because I know a lot of veterans don't like the thank you for your service kind of thing. So I just try to live my life to the fullest. And whenever I get a chance to tell my veteran friends and family, uh, I tell them that's what I'm doing. And I know I couldn't do it if it wasn't for them and sacrifices that their buddies have made in combat and what have you. So I just try to live my life to the fullest and, and, and do as much as I can to do that for them and thank them for it in that way, instead of thank you for your service and stuff of that nature. Totally agree. All right, Craig, David and Craig, what are your favorite knives and why? (laughs) Oh man. All right. So I got a CRKT M21 pocket knife that I carry every day that I use all the time, opening letters, cutting cordage, doing videos, using in a class. That's my favorite knife. Uh, my new favorite knife, hey, maybe this is a segue from my knife. Um, I designed the knife that I've wanted to have my entire life. LT Wright Knives is building it. I've got the prototype. I met them at Blade Show this past week and discussed some final tweaks to it. So that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, I like a knife that has tradition to it. I've got a, I like a knife that has form to it that has been proven over long periods of time to be an effective shape and form of a tool. And so that knife's going to be coming out soon. I, and, and I really am not a knife nerd, but uh, I've been really pleased with how this one has turned out. So that's coming soon. So look for Craig's knife soon. When, when, are, when are you planning on having that out? Uh, I don't know how long it'll take them to get through this next prototype. It shouldn't take them very long. And then we'll be taking pre-orders after that. And, uh, and then, it'll, it, you know, it'll probably be in the next two to three months. We're sitting here looking at the middle of June. I can, I can, I'd be comfortable to say definitely by fall we'll have a knife out there. Um, okay. So we'll see how it goes. Kickstarter or anything like that? or Man, we thought right about it. LT- I mean, yeah. chatted with you about it. I think we're going to do, uh, I think we're going to go without a Kickstarter on this one. Uh, just because I, I, quite frankly, it's complicated. I, I've yeah. listened and and watched you go through Kickstarter and know it's <laughs> way, 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 way over my head, and yeah. uh, I just don't have the time to invest into that. So we're going to forego Kickstarter at this time. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, I'm excited to see it. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm happy. As far as what I carry. Um, of course, when I go out in the woods, I've got my MSK one. I, I oftentimes have one in my bag. I mean, especially if I'm hitting the trail or going on a trip, but I don't carry it all the time. You know, it's a, it's a bigger knife, but if I'm going out in the woods and I'm going to do stuff, it's in my go bag, all that sort of stuff. The knife that I use, two knives that I use all the time, Craig, is my Leatherman Wave. And there's actually two knives on it. There's a serrated edge blade and there's just a regular like you know pocket knife blade i i have you you may not believe this but i have uh i've been testing some new belts some new sponsors coming up and all that sort of stuff but 
so I've been trying to populate all of my different pants and belts and shorts with different belts and different multi-tools. I have a lot of multi-tools. And I'm going to tell you, Craig, I've, I have right now two setups where I have not non Leatherman waves and I've kind of been hating them. So I love the Leatherman wave even more. And uh, actually one of the multi-tools is supposed to be like a survival multi-tool, but I'm kind of hating it. So maybe someday I'll design a design one of those. But the, so I use that and my MSK one mini neck knife. I actually don't carry a pocket knife anymore. I, I usually have the mini neck knife on and as far as a knife, that's the one that I'm I'm using the most. I do have a backup in my wallet. I do always carry a razor blade. <laughs> and I actually have a friend that does not carry a pocket knife or anything, and he's a big time hunter, and he processes all of his game with a razor blade. <laughs> yeah, I he does it. He's amazing. There you go. <laughs> all right, what's next here? All right, you're up. Next question. <laughs> oh, David, why do you wear sunglasses so much in your YouTube videos? That is a really interesting <laughs> question. I don't have I ever told you the answer to this. There is an I answer. I think I know. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, there's okay, guys. So there's two reasons that I wear sunglasses in my YouTube videos. So back in the day, when I had, and I, I still love this camera, but. Uh, it's the, I've got it sitting right here. It's the Canon uh, T4i, and I've got a T5i also, and I still I still love this camera. So when I used to shoot all of my videos by myself, I would flip the screen around facing me so that I could see myself and make sure things were framed up right. So I kind of started doing the whole sunglass things so I could, I tended to be looking at the, the screen on the camera and not into the camera, and it kind of showed. So I quickly learned that sunglasses covered that up. The second reason is that I'm not as good on cameras. People like Craig or Tim at Everyday Tactical Vids. Tim, I'm telling hey, you, these guys. We are going to get him on. Okay, cool. Who's? <laughs> we are definitely going to get him on. So I'm not as good, just impromptu. So oftentimes, especially with my intros, I have intro scripts. And so I do have a, a teleprompter that's kind of a iPad based kind of deal, but producer Ben hates it. So I don't use that very much because I <laughs> does he get really? away with, why? He, why does he hate he it? Actually, he actually does hate it. He hates that he has to reset up the main tripod every time that we have to use it. Cause you kind of have to take it apart. Then you have to oh. assemble, assemble the camera on it. And then you got to set it all up and, and all of that. And for him, it, it just, you know, it's 15 minutes of overhead that he'd rather not deal with. So right. what I do is I print off my intro scripts a lot on 11 by 17, uh, big 11 by 17 sheets of paper because producer Ben doesn't like my teleprompter. And then we just flip sheets until we're done, which usually only takes a couple minutes because when I have a script, I can nail it. <laughs> but when <laughs> I don't have a script, I think about the camera maybe a little bit too much. So those are the two reasons that I wear sunglasses so much in my YouTube videos. All right, cool. Next question. Last question. Okay. Last question is, uh, Craig and David, I'm interested in starting my own business. How did you guys get started? And can you share some tips for people like me who want to start a business? 
<laughs> I know what you're gonna say. Don't do it. <laughs> you want me to get one first? thing? That pe- I'll throw a couple of things in here, and you can yeah, spawn ahead. off of it. I think I think it's admirable, and I think everybody should start a business because if you start a business, you will not like taxes, and you will not like people getting in your business, and you will not <laughs> you you will just respect that whole process because you see the money coming out of your account because you're paying it. It's not just being taken from you in your check every week. But I I think it's admirable. I think everybody should give it a shot. I think in this day and age, in our country, there is more opportunity for people to be entrepreneurial than at any time in history, especially in the United States. There's a lot of opportunity, but it's a lot of work. And Craig, I've I've been at this. I've been self-employed for many, many years now, even before I started Ultimate Survival Tips. And I'm still working really, really hard at times to make ends meet because it's an ebb and flow, right? Sometimes you have a bit more than you need and sometimes you're, you don't. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'll let you go in and maybe you can just back up on how you got started and then some other tips for people and then we'll close out the show. I made the huge mistake of going into my first business because I loved one of my hobbies, which was martial arts. And I, for, uh, I did not pay attention to all the signs that that was not a smart move to make. Uh, I, uh, what I now understand to be focus lock because I loved martial arts and I wanted to just do it full time. Uh, I missed all the signs that I shouldn't have been doing it as a business. So I should have never done that. Um, my recommendation for people that want to start a business is I, I would be no different than David whatsoever. And that I should, I, I would recommend you try it while you have a fantastic job Yes, and do it in such a way that you can build up enough income uh, in savings and a good retirement and good insurance and all the things that go along with it in such a way that you are forced to quit your other job because the other one's making more money than it. Because if you have the mindset that you, Hey, if I just quit my regular job and I devote more time to the self-employment, then I'll make so much more money. A lot of times that it just does not work that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, there's nothing at wrong at all. And having a, and I had a real good friend of mine that was a student that come to class that told me this. He's like, Craig, I really would love to do what you do. I love being in the outdoors. I love what you're doing. He said, but I just don't have the talent to be able to do it full time. And I like having a new truck and some new toys and stuff like that. So what I do is I work at my job. He's a computer programmer. He said, I work at my job. I'm really good at it so that I can have the money to go off and enjoy the outdoors when I want to and spend the money I want to and and enjoy it as a break from computer programming. And so I I thought that was incredibly wise. There's nothing wrong at all in finding something that you love to do and continuing to have a job so that you can support that fun hobby. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and whatever you do, don't forego, this is really important. Don't forego family. Uh, we had this question last night on campus with all these kids. You know, me and my wife are sitting there. We're, we got a successful marriage. We've been married for, you know, we've been together for almost 30 years now. And um, they wanted to know, it was real. We were talking about survival, but they wanted to talk about our relationship because it, it 
those kids all come from broken homes. And so they were asking questions about how our relationship worked and what made it successful and, and being self-employed and all that stuff. And part of that is that my wife has been self-employed with me. She homeschooled our children. So when I was doing my jobs, most of that was done at home. So I still got to be a dad to my kids. I still got to be a husband. I got to be involved with their lives. And so, um, you don't want to forego your family life just because you want to pursue some hobby as a business. Uh, I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend you forego that. There's incredible value in just being a, a family guy or a family woman. Uh, if you're single, you just want to date people and you want to have a go at it, then absolutely. But you've got to take in consideration spouse and kids if you ever want to go that route. Don't mm-hmm. Don't put them off to the side for your business. Guys, I cannot emphasize what Craig said enough. When I started my business, I started as a side hustle. I had a really, really good job. And I was at a point with the age of my children where they were late teens and they were kind of doing their own thing. So I wasn't required to have to be around every night with all the energy that maybe young children would take. And Karen was cool with me starting a side hustle. And I tried a couple of things. I'll, several of them didn't work. And, uh, you know, eventually one or two of them looked promising. And I continued to work, work those for a year, year and a half before there was an opportunity for me to, to leave my job and do some consulting and do the side hustle kind of still on the side of the consulting. So what Craig is saying is, is a great way to do it. Don't quit your regular job. Don't stop doing what you're good at. If you can pick up a, a client, some mowing lawns, some doing something that, that you enjoy on the side and it doesn't affect your family, your relationships, your marriage, or your, your existing income to put you in a, a desperate spot, then, you know, go ahead and try a side hustle. That's kind of like the term these days, Craig. Mm, sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, I get it. And, and you're dead on, man. Yeah. So, Give it a shot. Do a side hustle. Um, Stick with what you got going on. And Craig, why don't you take us out of here? All right, guys and gals, please subscribe to the podcast now. It's free to do so. If you have not already done that, if you have, we thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Share the podcast if you enjoy it, and I'm sure you do because you're here. Please share it with friends and family and go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Support our sponsors. That's a win, win, win all the way around with that. And check the extra content and links in the description below to get all the links we have mentioned in the show today and links to our books, gear, training, and cool other YouTube videos and social media stuff. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. Stay sharp.